All right, thank you for taking time to connect to some other people. I encourage you now to grab your seats, and uh, we're going to keep, keep moving here. But I, I'd love to see you continue that conversation. We're going to do treats and coffee after the service here out in the hallway, and maybe invite someone to go get some coffee or lunch today. Glad you're here. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Heights, and uh, excited to be here with you today. A couple quick uh, reminders or um, maybe information for you are uh, just a COVID update. Next week, um, some things, a little bit of things changed here at the school. Masks are still are still welcome, but not required starting next week. So I know a few of you came this week unsure, like with it in your hand, like do I have to or not? <laughs> uh, next week's the week. So they're welcome, but not required, uh, at least right now at the school. So that changes. And also, if you're a member, a covenant member here at Hope, um, specifically at Hope Heights, we have a members meeting uh, to uh, confirm uh, our first elders, actually, on Tuesday at 8 o'clock on Zoom. So all that, you got an email about that. Um, also, it was in the weekly update, and uh, let me know if you need the link um, to that. But all that should be online on, our, on my Hope CC. All right. We do watch basketball in our house. It, it's a newer thing, not newer, I've been married almost 17 years, but when I got married, it was a new thing uh, to me because my wife, uh, who you just saw up here before, Kelly, is a huge basketball fan. College basketball might be her favorite sport, and so we watch a lot of uh, March Madness. I've grown to love it. Uh, she also has grown up being a Duke fan, and so usually there's one groan. I think I heard a hint of a groan. Uh, and so last night, uh, Duke played in the, in, almost almost the championship and lost, uh, but that was the, uh, she did get a little loud. I was getting some things ready for today, and I heard a few times, and I was like, is that my kids getting in a fight, or is that my wife yelling at refs? And it was both, actually. But um, we do watch uh, a lot of it, and one of the things I have, uh, it, that, I, some of this is my personality, and some I, I honestly think it's the way I maybe look at the world, hopefully, through, through my lens here as a Christian, um, is it's really hard for me to watch when people are, are just mean. And so a lot of times you're watching games, people are just excited, right? They're cheering, they have their shirts on, but then there's moments and you can't always hear them because they don't mic them, thankfully. Uh, but recently watching a game, there was a moment, this isn't the actual, this is just a picture I found of fans yelling. There was a player who was just about to take a ball and, and pass it in, bounds, and there were uh, people right by him and you could, you could audibly, like, you couldn't hear, but you could like hear, right? Because you could see their lips. They were yelling, you're garbage at the player. And he actually looked a lot like this. He looked kind of like, okay, whatever, I'm playing basketball and you're wearing goofy outfits. But you could see their mouths screaming at him, you're garbage. And you thought, I feel like that might be, I don't know. I know that for some of us that, oh, it's part of the fun. I like that feels like now we're not playing basketball or cheering on. We're just telling people that they're, <laughs> worthless. Uh, that part's hard for me. I, and I think you get wrapped up, right, in the excitement of it. You get wrapped up in, like, your team and their team. It feels like such a uh, kind of a perfect picture, even, of what we see everywhere, right? Not just in sports. In fact, in sports, uh, it almost feels, uh, if, if any place, okay, I guess we're getting heated and excited about a, a game, but hopefully afterwards we could shake hands. The one school's yours, and it's their school, there's joy and there's heartache in that, but there's definitely all this trash talk, this kind of division. It really is a little bit of a picture I think we feel probably often around you. 
So today we are continuing our series in the book of Ephesians, and we're looking at this idea of what unity looks like, and even what is the attitudes, or what are the, what are the characteristics of people in a church? Uh, what are we called to? And so I think we hope, right, that we'd see an image of a church that is whole and put together. Oh, it's obviously, it doesn't look like our church, right? But just an image of a church. Um, I recently uh, was at an event that uh, ca- caused me to understand the true reality. That this isn't just uh, in a sporting event, right? Or maybe on the news or maybe in a family discussion at Christmas that you feel some division or brokenness or, or, or people pushing to sides. But I was at an event, this actually happened a few times recently to me. I was at an event with other actually people in ministry. So these are people who was like our professional Christians, <laughs> like the others that get you know, paid to, to worship Jesus, kind of. Um, and we're there because we're learning from someone who's teaching some things, it was really helpful. And at the end of one of the sessions of teaching, the person just prayed. They said, let me pray over this topic that we're talking about. The topic we're talking about is one that could be could be divisive uh, if you f- like flipped on the news, right? Or if you just if you just e- were at Target and yelled out, "What do you think about this thing?" Um, I'm actually not going to share the topic. It's not as much about the topic as the reaction. And they prayed, which is great. And then we and then me and a couple friends stood up and we walked to get coffee. There was a little break to chat about what we had just just learned. And one person said this. They said, "I couldn't even pray during that prayer." Like, well, then it's not a prayer if you're not praying. <laughs> but I couldn't even pray during that prayer. Listen to this. I was so nervous about the prayer because I'm sure it was making someone upset in the room. And it was clear that they were making a political statement about this thing. I don't, I don't think the prayer, I think the prayer was legitimately just like, God, we lift this up to you and we love you. And it was a very basic, it was a very like end of an hour long seminar, like quick because we all want to go get coffee and take a break prayer. But they felt this like in them enough that it distracted them from just saying, God, we need you and, and we need you on this topic and we just need you to guide us and lead us. But they felt like just because this person had shared, just prayed about a thing that they were making a political statement and therefore there's people in the room who'd be upset about that and there's people in the room who'd be maybe happy about that. And that made the person uneasy enough and anxious enough that they're like, I couldn't even pray. I was just so worried someone might yell or someone might be upset. And it really wasn't a big, it wasn't, like, you know, there's times where clearly someone's trying to make a point. And maybe, I don't know if you've felt this before, unable to pray or maybe even unable to engage or even unsure how to engage because you're concerned in a time and in a place where often whatever is said Puts, automatically puts you kind of in a camp of people or in a group of people. And then a lot of other things get assumed about you or about them. Or maybe you, you feel yourself even do that. Oh, I know what they mean by that word. They, they must be a, and then they believe all this. Or which either puts them against you or for you or with you. Maybe you feel that in a conversation that you have to find ways to uh, maybe agree or, or encourage or celebrate something someone's saying so that you feel like they'll welcome you into their thing, or maybe the opposite. You feel like, oh, I've figured out who they are, and I'm not going to talk to them again. I think we often actually feel a brokenness, right? A, a, a division, a separateness, not a oneness, but a separateness. And we see this in the church. It's not a surprise. I think it's easy to say, like, oh, look at, look at the world. Look at the, the different things you see on social media. 
wow, it's broken and split. But we see the same thing happening as we see sinners and broken people in the church just like everywhere else. I've definitely felt this. It's definitely affected how I talk, uh, who I talk to, how I say things, what I'm nervous about. Where am I going to be put? Or is this going to cause someone to think something about me? Or I figured out who they are because I figured out this one thing they think about and talk about. It's really hard because we see this not just in the church, right, but in the world. It's a, it's a common thing. Because we're broken people, we're sinners. We have very selfish intents often, even if we're unaware of it. And we feel divided. Like she was um, praying with a group of pastors in, in a different setting. Um, I was sitting with a friend. And someone, while we were praying, someone said, Lord, this has to be the most divided time we've ever seen in our country and my friend, uh, uh, this, a black pastor from Detroit, he's sitting next to me and he said, hey, don't tell my great-great-grandfather this is the most divided time. It might throw off his experience as a slave in North Carolina. I thought, oh, what a wild, right? Even, like, in, in a moment, him making kind of just joking. Also, I guess we weren't praying at that moment either, really. Uh, just making a comment, you know, from his perspective on that. In his history in that, I thought, oh yeah, and I thought, man, we've been doing this forever. Not a new thing. We see this throughout Scripture. We see it uh, throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. We, we find groups and we join them or we send them away. Sometimes if we get to be in the majority who has power, uh, we don't necessarily see it as much or sometimes we liked even the feeling of being in the minority. I know um, I have a, a friend who I often talk to who I think likes to feel like. He likes to frame a lot of things that he's like the only one, him and his couple friends. There's something about that. There's just all these ways, right, that sin creeps in in our flesh and our, uh, we want to want to separate, we want to break apart. We want to, I don't know, feel better. Or maybe sometimes we just also just feel less than. It's not new. It's our flesh and we know our, our sin and brokenness and Satan want this. It happens when we're selfish. We're really looking out for number one, right? There's one that we look out for, and it often is me. But could there be a different way? Uh, no, there isn't a different way, and that's the end. Uh, that'd be sad if that was the end. I think there's a different way. And, uh, and I don't really just think it. We see it throughout all of Scripture. Uh, and that's our hope today. We're looking at Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, and it's gone. Uh, it's taken three chapters to explain to us really theologically, like a foundation of who we are, what Christ has done, how it's changed us, how it's brought us from de- death to life, from darkness to light, brought us into a family we're no longer alone in our pursuit of flesh and ourselves, but we now are brought into a family. Now, Ephesians 4 is when this kind of shifts, the book of Ephesians, from just here's who you are, here's a reality. It's really important we know that, to now it's going to say, now here's what it looks like to live that out. So for some of you, that might be exciting. Like, okay, finally, you're going to give me some things to do. Um, maybe. Um, but... I'm excited here. This is a twist now. The next few chapters of Ephesians, the rest of our spring into the summer, we're going to be looking at what that looks like. 
what does it look like to play out as we are changed people? And so if you have a Bible, you want to follow along, all the scripture will be on the screen. Otherwise, if you have a Bible, you want to crack it open. We're in Ephesians 4 and right in the beginning of it. Let me uh, share this passage with you that we're looking at today. And we're just going to sit in this passage today and see what God has for us. Here we go. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. So, Pastor, maybe you've heard. This is a a passage uh, often people have... uh, shared with me is one that really encouraged them when they were even new to the faith, gave them some guidance. So we're going to take some time just to slowly walk through this and see what this says. So as we start, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. As a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul writing this, uh, and at this time he would have been an actual, like physically a prisoner, writing this letter back to his church in, in Ephesus. It's actually a bunch of churches there that he had part in planting and starting people who he loves, and he wants to send back this letter to encourage them in who, the, who they are in Christ, and then what it looks like to, for, to live out life as a believer. And so he's, he's saying, as his prisoner for the Lord, as I, as I sit here imprisoned, I want to urge you, I want to encourage you to live this life that is worthy of the calling that you have received. I've been using this image uh, recently. These are terms that Larry Crabb uses. He's a... Um, a biblical counselor and uh, theologian, and he says that the core thing that we need, the thing that motivates us at the, at the root of us, like way deep into our heart, is safety and significance. And so we're always looking to be safe, and we're always looking to be significant, right? It gives us a purpose and a mission. It also gives us like comfort, stability, and that's what the gospel does. It gives us safety and significance to, to a level we could never even hope to imagine, and so we've been talking about the first part of Ephesians really gives us that. It reminds us of that. There's safety in Jesus. There's significance in him, a calling. And I think now we're switching to this time where he's going to say, what is this call that you've been called to? What is this thing? And so it, it takes us like, this is who you are. You're established. You're made whole. And now, and now we get to take, now let's take a step. Let's move towards what we're called to. Not just kind of soak in the like, yeah, 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 that's who I am. But now we got to get moving. We take that and, and we move towards something. Um, this word actually, the word, for, the word for church actually means to be called out of. And if I think of the word church, if I actually asked a lot of people, if I just walked through Target today and said, hey, what does church mean? You get a lot of answers, right? <laughs> Speaking of like dividing <laughs> a group of people, you get a lot of answers what church could mean. And it probably really could just mean like a place where people go. Like people might just picture that picture of a church that I had on the screen. It's a place where people go and talk about God and maybe sing. Um, maybe have potlucks. Maybe there's a good or bad thing. That word actually though means to be called out of. R.C. Sproul says the church in the New Testament is made up of those who are called out from the world called out from darkness, from damnation, from paganism to become members of the body of Christ. It's defining who we are. So he's saying, I want to urge you to be the people who you're called out to be. 
Not just calling like, hey, now you have a job, please go do it. But he's saying you were taken from death and taken from darkness and taken from a life where you just pursued your flesh and what was for you and you were called to something new. Like you're pulled out of that to something. This grace saved you from something and to something not just from and now you kind of hang out. It's called us to move towards something for God's glory, for our joy. And this is where he's going to start giving us um, things to actually consider. What, what are we called to? Is he going to give us, like, hopefully just a list? He can just say, during your day, here's six things you need to do. Do these, and everything will be okay. Instead, he actually gives us something different. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So already, no way I could do this, right? This seems tough. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He gives us this, it is a list of some things, things that we've actually seen before. Um, Lynn Kohick says, in, des- in describing this life, Paul does not offer their list of do's and don'ts, but sets before them holy attitudes that should govern all actions. So instead of specific actions, I want you to do this this many times a day, talk to this many people, share this scripture uh, work. She just, he, he just changes really our motive in our heart and our attitudes in our lives. So that whatever we do, it's one of the incredible things about be, being a believer. You, whatever you do, you can still do it in the way God has called you to. There doesn't, he doesn't have to write a new playbook like, oh no, I got a pilot now who's a Christian. Hi, I got to think through what all the steps are to be a pilot. He, he already has given it to us. And here, um, Paul is reminding us these things are humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another, unity through the bond of peace. So Lynn's reminding us these are attitudes. This changes kind of our attitude, how we even go into any action we have, which means it doesn't necessarily take us out of what we've already been doing. It changes like the kind of person we are once we move into those things. So just take a second to kind of go through these. Now, this is a reminder... um, these are used all over scripture, but it, you might have, it might have kind of triggered in your brain, oh, I've, I've heard those phrases uh, before because I learned a song when I was a kid. <laughs> maybe some of you, <laughs> some actions, or maybe you just remember the, fr- the fruit of the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, we hear about the fruit of the Spirit. This is the Spirit of God then entering us, coming in us as we're made new in Him. It says, but the fruit of the, uh, but the, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. I love this passage because it, I love the end of it. Against such things there are no law. I love, there's not like rules and you gotta figure out how to follow them. This just changes like your attitude and how you move towards all things and think about all things. And so Paul here again is just is reiterating the same thing we see in other parts of scripture that say this is what it looks like now as, as your changed person. So let's just start with a couple of these to consider them. What does it look like to be humble, and gentle. I took the completely out because I thought there's no way any of you could do the completely humble. So we'll just go with humble and gentle today. What does it look like to be a person? I, 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 one commentator said, of all people in the world, Christians should be the humblest because we are aware of our death and, and deadly position before Christ. We're aware that we're broken. We're aware that we're sinners that need to be saved and we're aware that we're brought into the kingdom of God, not by our works or our merit, but by a loving God. So we should go, oh, I had 
nothing to do with this. Like, wow, that should humble us, right? Give us a good view of who we are and who God is. This looks like living a life, having an attitude that's not about me. Questions I would ask are, can I celebrate other people? Does that have to turn to a celebration of me? Am I gentle in my speech with other people? Understanding that they too are sinners, broken, in need of a savior. Do I need to sound or look tough or maybe powerful? Do I need to have it all together? Do I have to make an extra comment in a conversation so everyone knows I have it together? That that was just the one time that thing happened. Or am I even a safe place for others? It's one of the safest places we have, right, is that relationship with a humble friend who I can say what I need to say and say things that maybe are just bouncing in my head and my heart. Even if I know they're untrue, I still can just say them to them and they don't correct me or let me know that I'm worse or broken. They just are with me. Am I a safe place? Humility allows us to move towards sinners because we're sinners. We didn't save ourselves. We don't have to be scared of catching sin from people. Now that we're on this side and those sinners, we understand who we are and who's the one who does the saving and rescuing and changing. Makes sense. Humility would be an attitude and a thing that changes in us. What about being patient or bearing with one another in love? This phrase actually uh, also uh, could, could be seen as long-suffering. I like, I like that word better. To me, when I hear patience, I hear like, just put up with something, like tolerate someone. I think of my mom when I was a kid saying, be patient. And I think of myself telling my kids a million times, just be patient. Or telling them when something's hard, like you're learning patience, even if they aren't. It feels like the right thing to tell them. But long suffering. Whew, what does it look like to be someone who can suffer a long time and with other people? Am I in it for the long haul? The slow and steady or am I in a hurry in my relationships or in my life? Are my relationships about the next exchange of goods or services with a person? Am I committed and faithful to a relationship because I get something from it or because they're following my rules or am I in it because, because of them? It seems very gospelly to see, uh, think of how God pursued us we were dead. He was like, ah, they don't have a lot to offer. I don't know if I'm going to pursue them. We had nothing to offer. Are we willing to be long-suffering, patient, bearing with people? Is it a covenant relationship? The word covenant often is used, we see in Scripture, as a place to describe God's relationship with us. It's a relationship that's bonded together, only broken by death, that this is a relationship that uh, we pursue and are faithful. You hear that uh, often in marriage, when we talk about marriage as a covenant relationship, one that we say, yeah, I'm with you. There's something different, right? When someone commits to you and says, I'm with you, we're in this together. It's going to be hard at times. It's going to be amazing at times, but I'm not leaving you. It changes how you interact with that person. We see that in, in relationships with kids, right? There's moments where you're like, this isn't necessarily fun, but I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not leaving you. We also can see this in friendship. I wonder if that's a, maybe a lost thing that we've seen and it's a place where the church could shine, like be a light in, in our culture 
uh, that I think is really unknown to many, even in, in my own life, unknown. What does it look like to be in a covenant friendship relationship? It looks like being long-suffering people who bear with one another. Do you have friendships with people that you know? Maybe you even need to speak it to each other and say, I'm not going anywhere. I guess many of us have those people, I'd hope. What does it look like to have friends that don't leave or to be a friend who doesn't leave? What does it look like to be in Christian community that doesn't leave? What does it look like to know I have a friend who is single and I can be in a covenant friendship relationship with them? They can experience that faithfulness in a way that can encourage them and love them and they can do that back? That change, that means we have a, we have a church of people who whatever stage of life they're in, whatever area, however they're playing that out, whether they're married or not married, whether they're like eight years old or they're 80 years old, all of us together can commit to each other. There's not many places that happens. Maybe none. This is a place that God has created for that. With covenant friendships, people can stop idolizing marriage. That's incredible. When encourage a single friend to say, who's maybe feeling consumed, I've got to figure this out. So you married you. What if you moved into their life and were a good covenant friend, a long-suffering, patient friend? So they knew, oh, I can actually experience some of that with friends. I don't need to have a spouse to experience that. So once you have a spouse, you realize, oh, they don't actually do all that either. You can see deep change in one another as we live a long life. What would it look like if you were just stuck with the same few friends for the rest of your life? Did it scare you? Maybe if you were like, that would be nice to not have to make new friends. I got a call recently from a friend uh, who just, he, he called at a weird time of the day and he called like three times and so you know that was like the, it feels panicky to me. Like I got nervous. I was like, oh no, three times in a row. I thought he was at work. What happened? So I, hey, are you okay? What's going on? He's like, I'm doing great. I got this promotion at work today. The thing we've been praying about and talking about. And I said, oh, that's so good. He said, I just knew if I called you, you'd be happy for me. And I just need someone to like, tell me they were proud of me. I said, oh, I'm proud of you. Which felt weird. I was like, does it count if you told me to tell you it's proud of you? I was, I was. I said, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And he said, oh, that, that's all. I, I got to get back to work. You know, I don't want to lose my promotion. I said, Scott, I shouldn't be calling you at work. And I said, okay, cool. That's so great. And he said, all right. And then uh, about that, he goes, oh, wait, wait, wait. I love you, man. I said, oh, I love you. Like, I'm teary now talking about it. And I hung up and I cried for a second. I was like, oh my gosh, I love that guy. It, like, it, it affected me that he would trust me with that. Or that he would know that, like, I just, need a fr- I just need the friendship of someone to say, I'm proud of you, I love you, I'm with you. And that he would know, like, it wasn't weird that he'd call and, like, just want to be encouraged. He wasn't fishing for it. He wasn't like, oh, nothing's going on, I just got a promotion. Do you think that's cool? Like he just said, I want to hear you say it's great. What does that look like to be endure with one another for a long time? To just be safe with one another, to be humble and gentle with one another. I think when that happens, we definitely see this happen. We're making efforts to keep unity 
of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That feels like a lot of kind of church language, right? This unity of spirit. So there's a Holy Spirit. That's God who's with us. We have God the Father and the Son and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And when we come to know Jesus, we say yes to Jesus. The Spirit comes, empowers us. We just read this uh, in Ephesians 3 that we're praying that God's Spirit would give us power, that we be filled with the fullness of God. So there's unity in that, that all of us would be filled with that same Spirit and that we'd have a bond, that there would be peace in that. I like this passage because, this part of the passage, because it says make every effort. It gives us actually, up until this point, we did not get many of these, actually really any of these. They're called imperatives, like these commands or actions to do things. The only thing that we hear, one time uh, in Ephesians 3, we're, we're told to remember. But really it's just saying like, hey, don't forget all this stuff. And all of a sudden we're given action and it actually says make an effort. Like let's really make an effort to, to move towards unity and move towards unity in the spirit, which really is right. We're moving towards a person. This is the part of this I think is really important for us to remember. Uh, being completely humble and gentle, being patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort for unity in the spirit through the bond of peace. This is a image uh, I think we could aspire to, right? I think many of you are, are those people. Many of those people are those people to me and to my family. You're the people I call up or I text because I know you're going to encourage us and remind me of the gospel. You're also kind of messed up, like me, <laughs> and this doesn't always happen. Sometimes we speak to each other really unkindly, or we're not humble, or in a conversation we're just swapping who's better at something, or letting each other know how great we are. Because we're not bearing very long with one another, we, it gets annoying, or it's not fulfilling my mission or what I want, and so I'm like, well, you can find other people to hang out with because I have a thing I got to get done. So how, so how do we do this? Well, I think we do this through unity of the Spirit. It, it's not us all together trying to figure out how to better help ourselves. It's us all grabbing and clinging on to the same one who actually does this. Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, Meek, humble, gentle, Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. You might have come today just because you need to hear that. Jesus is not here to point fingers at you. He's here with open arms. This, according to his own testimony, is Christ's very heart. He's talking about Matthew 11 here. This is who he is, tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, and willing. We don't become humble and gentle, patient, and we don't bear well with one another just because we muster that up. Because now we've just thrown away all of the first part of Ephesians and said, okay, now I can just do this well. I can be really good at this, and then maybe I can like teach seminars on how to be the most humble person <laughs> and tell everyone how awesome I am at being humble, right? You say, no, no, cling to the one who is meek and humble and gentle. The one who doesn't just, isn't just trigger happy. The one who isn't praying and worried. The people are in the room are dividing or labeling him a certain political party or a certain group. The one who just comes with open arms and, and brings you in and never leaves. Ever. Has never left, even when you left a bunch, and will never leave. And in fact, will come back and make all things right. 
So for, for, in order for us to be these people um, that we see here in Galatians in, in the passage about the fruit of the Spirit, we have to cling to Jesus. Now look at the, right after this passage, the rest of the passage here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its pass, pass, uh, passions and desires. Do you hear this? So he, he lists, the, these are the things, these are things that come from clinging on to Jesus, holding on to him, the spirit of God would be in us. Those things overflow out of us because God is now filling us, as we prayed in Ephesians 3, that his fullness would fill us. And Christ, not us, crucifies, kills these desires of our flesh, these passions, this selfishness, this, this desire we have to make us look big and us look good and strong and maybe in that process make others smaller and us to move away from people because we gotta make sure we're number one. He crucifies that. And if we live by this spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. So he's saying this spirit will, we cling to that, we turn to that, and then that also is the one who, who, who helps <laughs> directs our steps. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's the same phrase, one anothering, this one anothering, being patient, long-suffering with one another. The flip of that is what happens when we're dead and we pursue our flesh. We're conceited, we provoke one another, we envy one another. I wish I was you. Oh, you wish you were me. How can I separate from you? How can I pick a fight with you? It changes it. And so our passage in Ephesians tells us that. It says, be unified under the, in this spirit. Okay, now just that spirit, are there other things? He makes it pretty clear. Because there's one body, one spirit, and just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all. Quick rundown of these. One body, there's one church, there's one group of you. You've been made one in Christ. There's one spirit of God, right? The one that's in you. That, that's how unified we are. That the same God and spirit is in all of us. We're called to one hope, a one future. So not just right here, but a future where Christ comes and makes things right. Not a future like, I'm in the spirit now and we all have kind of different places we're gonna go. We're all going to the same place where Jesus has made things all right. One thing to look forward to, one future, one Lord and one faith that we put it in Christ, one baptism. Baptism is an opportunity for us to, to uh, proclaim the family that we're in, it's a moment to be marked by, hey, you are in the family of God. You've died and risen with Christ and one God and Father of all. These are all, right, just different angles, different ways to say you're all in this one thing of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so what does it look like to be people who are humble and gentle? It's people who cling to that one thing that keep repenting. Repenting is just turning to God. They keep saying throughout our life, I want to continue to be humble. I'm not going to be humble all the time. I can't believe I just said this thing to this person. I can't believe I thought this way about this person or myself. I got to turn back to God. And just in the act of continually turning back to Christ, to the Spirit, and allowing them to renew us and fill us with all their fullness, we will continue to overflow these things and be these things. I had this... Um, I really like uh, this image of one. I, I had a moment early in kind of my uh, 
Career is a strong word. Early in youth ministry, when I was a youth minister, really early, I walked into an office of someone uh, I knew from our church, and someone's like, hey, you shouldn't meet with this guy. And so he's like, I'd love to meet with you. And um, I, I don't think I realized he was going to like mentor me, but I didn't know I needed mentoring. It's a whole other level of humility because <laughs> I was a cool youth pastor. And I strolled into his office. This is what the wall of his office kind of looked like. He doesn't actually have an award from Atari. These are just <laughs> random diplomas. I strolled in and I was like, hey, what's up, man? And then I like <laughs> chill sat in his, a chair in his office. This is like an office, like I had to go through multiple admins and go up like an elevator and it was like all nice wood everywhere. You know, like a fancy office. Everyone wore suits. I was the only guy in like cargo shorts and a t-shirt. I probably had a Frisbee with me because I was a youth pastor. And I was like, Yo, what's up, man? I was just being cool. And I thought, oh, this guy's got to chill out, you know, loosen his tie. And I, I literally sat down and he said, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> and I was like, oh, what? <laughs> He's, and then he said, so he said that and I thought, oh, okay, maybe it's going to humble me a little bit. And then he said this, right? He said, look at my wall. A man with these awards and these degrees do you think you should talk that way to a man with a wall like this? So in the same moment, we both are having our, our stuff, right? He's like, look at this. You should speak differently to me. Because of my wall of awards and my wall of degrees, we are very far, right, at this point. Like, we're very different people. That man actually, like, encouraged me a great deal. Taught me a lot about what it was to follow Jesus. I thought, man, all of your stuff, how quickly we divide into two camps. You're like the goofball youth pastor and you're like, I'm the successful business owner, guy who sold many businesses. And what the passage is telling us that us sitting in that room together, didn't matter what he had on his wall, didn't matter what kind of cargo shorts I was wearing, we all were united under one thing. Instead of him bragging about all of these qualifications. Instead of me thinking, I, this guy needs to chill out. He probably doesn't even know how to play acoustic guitar. <laughs> I have all, all right, we all have our categories of all of our skills, our resumes. The one that mattered was that we all had one Jesus. One Father, one Spirit, right? Is that we're all united in one. That God wasn't just saying, hey, I'm gonna give you a new club to be a part of, a new group to be a part of, and that group, they're like humble. They're known for their humbleness. It's called like the humble friends. And you guys hang out and talk about how to be really humble. He, he changed us. Ray Orland says this, Jesus did not die and rise again to create a religious version of what already exists. We Christians aren't just a new community in this world. We're a new kind of community. You hear that, how different that is? We're not a new group. We didn't form another Facebook group and now we're all into humility and patience. Oh, is there a Facebook group for humility and patience? I would guess not. <laughs> that would get shut down. Uh, <laughs> that would be awesome. I'm gonna find that. Um, he says, I've created like a new way about being community. A new way about being together. It all rallies. It's all empowered by one person. It all comes around one person. It's all rescued by that person. That's the part we can't forget. These, these passages can get real easy to, to move in this like, I gotta be humbler. Today I gotta write a note, be humble this week. 
Be gentler this week. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, I, I pray God's convicting us all in that. But what, what does that look like? It looks like us not skipping the first part. I, I was thinking this this week because one of my favorite features is this button right here. Anyone else love this button? Yes. If you don't know, this button was created uh, in 2017. I actually just read a little history of this. It's very exciting. Um, Netflix just put out that the skip button was created in 2017 because of a series of research they did. Let me maybe use quotes. I don't know how strong that is. But they asked people what they wanted for their product when they were watching things. And people said, I'd love something that would let me skip forward or backwards 10 seconds, 30 seconds, which they kind of have now, right? Everything kind of has it now. You can skip ahead. And they said, oh, I want to skip backwards because if I miss something, I want to quick see what it was. And when they realized the reason people want to skip forward is because they want to skip the introduction to shows. Because nobody want, you know, because we're all like binge watching shows. So you don't want to keep watching the introduction to The Office every single time. Like you love the song, but you're like, okay, I don't want to see it again. So you want to quick. And so they decided, let's just make a button that skips the intro. And so you don't have to watch that same little credits of who made the show and who's in the show and the name of the show. You skip right to the action. You just skip right in there, right? You just go, boop, and you love it. And the worst is if you miss it. This is like a, a sin in our house <laughs> that we're watching something, and then you're like, oh, no, I didn't click it. And then, like, no, we got to watch 10 seconds of an introduction. It's, the world is over. It's not long enough to go get a drink. What am I going to do? There's no commercial. What a hard life. Netflix actually says since 2017, the skip intro button has been pressed 136 million times, and it says, thanks to their skip button, let me use a little quote here, it's a press release, they have saved the world 195 years of time. <laughs> well, that might, that seems a little strong. <laughs> it probably is the only time. Saving the world that much time, maybe. I don't know if they count all the binge hours we've all watched and wasted away, but they have saved us. Thank you, Netflix. They have saved us 195. I'll pay you as much as you want. You've saved me 195 years of my life. That's wild in five years. I'm skipping intros. Oh, why, why do I say this? Why are we talking about Netflix? I, this is what we're doing, right? I think if we're not careful in our pursuit of, of, of humility, in pursuit of, of community that's united, that really cares, that's really patient, that's long-suffering with each other. If we're not careful in us pursuing, what does it look like to have a, like a lifelong relationship, real covenant relationship with each other? If we're not careful in that, we're just gonna muster up skills and tips and tricks on how to do that, and we're gonna kinda do it. But we're gonna miss it. We're not actually inviting people into the community and the person we want them to meet, the person we want each other to meet each day. If we're skipping that intro, I don't care, skip your intros, I don't care if you do that on Netflix. But, but, not when it comes to this, right? We got to remember who made us, who named us, who gave us this place, and who fills us, the one who does, who's made us one body and one spirit. This is so important. Now, how, how do we think about this? As we kind of wrap up here, I, um, uh, this, I have an image of this, and it actually comes a lot from me reading this in the message. A guy, pastor named Eugene Peterson, I often share this a lot, but uh, is, a, is a guy who um, actually in his own story uh, went to seminary and very much wanted to pursue academia. 
and then had, had some things change and pursued being a pastor, and in that has learned what it looked like to be just slow and steady, what it looked like to just maybe commit to a group of people and a life with people and just be sinners who keep clinging to Jesus together. And so then he actually wrote himself, like paraphrased the whole Bible. So this is just his words on this passage. But I like the way he says it. It actually helps give me an image to who we are and what we're doing. So here's just Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 in his words. In the light of all this, Here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want any of you strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts. I like that. Steadily pouring ourselves out for each other in acts of love. Alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You are all called to travel on the same road in the same direction, so stay together. Both outwardly and inwardly, you have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. I feel like I... When I read uh, the, the message, I often feel like I'm sitting with him, like he's like a, a mentor encouraging me. I love this image of us together on a road, walking this together, following our master, being encouraged and empowered and united in him. Makes me think of a great book, which was made into a movie called Lord of the Rings. I love the image of, of this group of people who are very different by, by preferences and backgrounds, but united under one cause, right? And then on a journey together, walking together, helping each other not wander off into nowhere, but together, fighting together, helping feed one another, encourage one another, celebrating each other's gifts, knowing they have one mission and one goal, that they're they're, they're all around, right? This, this is who we get to be. A church isn't us just, we get to gather and hang out together and sing, and then we go off to our things. This is the meeting of the people who is the core of who you are, a changed community. I also see this uh, play out in a very small way, but it's a moment in my, uh, in my life that is uh, one of my favorite moments because in this moment, something happens that I think illustrates all of these things. There's a thing that, that we all have participated in, I would guess, in this room, that is like a microcosm, like a moment where we see humility and gentleness, we see patience, we see long-suffering, we see unity all come together. It's when we sing happy birthday. Anyone, ever, anyone here sing happy birthday? I assume all of us have. Isn't this fun? I almost made a different slide. I thought, I've never seen a happy birthday slide with Lord of the Rings people. Because um, what happens when you sing happy birthday? You gather around a person. You say, you're special. This isn't about me right now. It's about you. I'm celebrating you. I'm thankful that you're another year older. And hopefully you've got to be in their life even. I'm thankful that I've got to for years see you grow. For years I've got to be around you. And that for years I still will be with you. I'm thankful that together we can gather around one birthday, one cake, one table, one, okay, that might be too much, but 
You see what happens when, in the, in the 30 seconds you sing happy birthday, you're celebrating someone else. We have a moment to kind of be that community. It's, a, it's a interesting. I was at camp um, early in, in my uh, camp career. <laughs> I was in college, and they had a kid in my cabin, and we were in a giant dining hall. There was like 200 people, and someone made an announcement. Hey, this kid has a birthday today. We're all going to sing to him. We all sang, but one of my kids did not sing. I said, hey, man, you okay? You didn't sing. And he goes, what did that guy ever do for me? <laughs> well, nothing. We don't know him, right? It's like a different city. and <laughs> you, know, you won't sing happy birthday to someone because they didn't do anything for you? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I love that, though, that this, like, sixth grader is like, why am I, I don't know this kid, why am I singing? Understandable. That usually doesn't happen, right? Even if you go to a birthday with people who you disagree with or you're just there because like a friend invited you or you're there because you had to because it's family, there's still a moment where everyone kind of unifies around singing happy birthday. I know even this week we had, I think, four or five birthdays, maybe even in the room we've had this week. I, th- I was thinking this week as I was praying for our church and birthdays and how funny is I think, what a moment we get to come together. I won't make us sing happy birthday. But... But that we get to do all the time. And so I'm going to invite our, our worship team up here. We're going, to, we're going to sing together to one God. And I want to encourage us in this today as we think about what it looks like to, to come together, to be unified in one God, in one spirit, in one body. I want us to not, not just realize like that, that would be nice, but understand like this is the mission of God, is that he has created a new community in us. And we get to bring that which is so desired to the world around us as we together cling to him and move forward in him. I got a couple things I want us to consider as we move forward. We're gonna have a time to reflect now so we can sing together, take communion together. It's another way we gather around a table unified and taking community to remember the broken body of Christ that brought us here, that makes us a new community that's out in the hallway. There's also people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you, for anything. Um, so remember, you're, we're in the same spirit together. They'd love to pray for you and care for you in that way. Also, maybe just consider these things. Have you been called into Christ's family? Maybe today is the day to say, I, I want to be in this family. It's, it's a kind of messy broken family, but we are in together around Jesus. What things do you find yourself united around? Are they things you want to be united around? What stops you from being humble and gentle and peaceful and long-suffering? It might have to do with your repentance or your pursuit of Christ. And then who, to, who this week is going to need Christ's humility and love? It's going to overflow from you. You're going to get to represent this family on this journey together for someone this week. Let me pray for us and then we'll keep moving as our team here leads us. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us that you have been gentle and humble. You've humbled yourself to come from heaven to die on a cross to give us life. I pray that you would fill us to all your fullness so that we would overflow these things, that we would be a new kind of community. That you'd use this people just here in this room to to love each other well, to suffer well together, that others would see that and want to be 
a part of that knowing that you're the one who brings life. I pray now as we sing that those words would be true to us and they would fill our hearts. I pray this in your good name. Amen.